Joining me this week on the Friday Film Club is actress and artist Rebecca Grant. Uh, she is starring in a new drama coming out soon from the producers of Line of Duty called Show Trial. And she's also got a new art exhibition in the Brett Galleries in Midhurst. So do check that out and we talk a lot more about that during the show as well. As well as finding out some of her favourite and maybe not so favourite movies. Uh, it's a great interview so um, do listen and as always follow us at the Fry Film Club across social media and share the show. Hope you enjoy. So, Rebecca, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast. No worries. Nice and to be here. Yeah, <laughs> yeah thank you. Uh, so, obviously, uh, you, you know what the questions are, and we're going to dive into those in a minute. But okay. before we do, um, why don't you tell us a little bit about what you're up to? Because um, there's, there's a whole bunch of stuff, right? Well, I've, um, first of all, we have Show Trial coming out. Uh, on the 31st of October, that was announced just yesterday, and I play Nisha Barrier, one of the barristers from episode three, four, and five. It's a five-part episode, and it's a pretty much a whodunit, but it's the same producers as the Line of Duty, After Vigil, so it's quite exciting. And um, I've just um, launched my lockdown collection of artwork. I'm an artist as well, and that's at Brett Galleries from the 1st of November. Let's have the 1st of November. Yeah, that's very exciting. And we've just had our first phase of my play on Frida Kahlo funded script development. And I'll be working on that from February with a brilliant emerging Latin American writer. So I'm co-creating that with her. So this is this this kind of blows my mind, to be honest, because you've got you've got TV, you've got you've got the play. You're an artist as well. You've got a family. How 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 do you do all of that? Oh, it's completely bonkers and sometimes filled with anxiety and where to get money for, you know, the amount of childcare sometimes you have to book. But you really do juggle and it does reap the rewards eventually. Like at the moment, in order just to do this, I've had to book childcare. So like, you just can't, at the age, when your beautiful children are age two and four, apart from playing constantly and feeding them constantly, there's nothing else you can do. You can't even make yourself a cup of tea or sit down. Or if you sit down, <laughs> that's a complete no-no. If you breathe out and relax for a second, uh-uh, not allowed to do that. Um, so, yeah, it's, I suppose, I suppose I'm just, I'm so passionate. I'm just, yeah, I'm just incredibly passionate about, the, the creatives I work with and the work that we do and the stories we tell and it just full, makes me feel fulfilled and others fulfilled and I just want to bring that happiness to other people or stories to other people and when I'm not doing that I, I find I'm really not on my purpose if you know what I mean. Mm. Yeah I, I totally get that and um, uh, so you've done sort of quite a lot of stuff um, in your career, what, what's been the real sort of highlight for you so far? Oh, goodness me. Well, show trial was very exciting. That was a big, a nice kind of step into a different caliber of, of filmmaking, I would say. Um, but I've done so much other, other filmmaking work has been incredible. But this was, um, I think, because Line of Duty was such a success, um, it was like, wow, I'm part of 
that world, world productions. So that was really exciting. And, you know, Holby City being off, offered that when I was younger was very exciting in my in my 20s. And and my first West End show was um, really exciting as well. Um, you know, because I wasn't even, I wasn't even 20, I was still a teenager. So being offered that, working with Andrew Lloyd Webber um, was such a thrill. It's it's the creative buzz. It's funny because people think, oh, fame and fortune and this and that. There's nothing to do with that in, in terms of the kick I get out of it. It's mm. the creative buzz I get out of it, really. So um, what what came first? Uh, was it the sort of stage work or was it the, the sort of TV work that really got you into, into acting? Well, I grew up... Um, I grew up with a very creative family. My grandfather was an artist and I was always inspired by him. So, you know, I painted quite early on, but my but then my mum sent all of us three children to dance school. So, you know, we were doing ballet, tap, modern jazz from a very early age and doing drama festivals as well. So we were doing a lot of musical theatre from the age of like five up into 16 when I started auditioning for stuff. So it kind of kicked off all at once as it does, you know? Yeah. And so the the art is kind of a, a bit more left field. You know, I get kind of, you know, the performing arts, they all kind of like blend into one another. But what what was the point that you thought, Do you know what, I'm going to be an artist as well? I actually wanted to be an animator when I was like five or six. Oh, really? Yeah, so I was doing lots of cartoons at a very young age and I loved it. Um, but then more paintings after that. So, yeah, it's something I've always done, really, alongside my acting career, because I enjoyed the performance arts as well. Awesome. Uh, and we'll, we'll talk more about your show uh, a bit a bit later in the episode. I say I say your show, your uh, the, the many things you've got on it, including your your art show. Um, but let's dive into some of the questions. So as always, the same six questions I ask all my guests to find out a little bit more about who you are through what you watch or, or, or don't watch. Uh, yeah. So let's go straight in with what is your favourite film of all time? Oh God, can I make it two? Go on, yeah. Okay, this is very relatable to Show Trial. So I would say Count of Monte Cristo, funny enough, which stars James Frain, the recent um, Count of Monte Cristo, and he's in show trial, and also 12 Angry Men. Nice. Okay. Two, we, we haven't had anything close to those choices before, so that's, that's very interesting. Why? I just loved, uh, when I worked on One Flow of the Cookies Nest, they introduced me to 12 Angry Men, and I just love the simplicity of it, the drama, the different characters, it was just a very in-depth, colourful, full of personality piece of work and how impactful that was. And Count of Monte Cristo, for completely the opposite reasons, how colourful and beautiful and fantastic and how meaningful the message is as well between Dante and this jealous kind of overlord that just wanted to kill him because he was jealous. It was just a really beautiful story between good prevailing over evil, you know, for the right reasons. Yeah, yeah, and, and and two great choices. And uh, so, when was when was the first time you saw those films? And you know, because I always, I always think that's really important to how it affects you. I saw them. I think I saw Count of Monte Cristo, like in my twenties, and yeah, uh, Twelve Angry Twelve Angry Men, mid twenties as well. well. Yeah, fair enough. It's a lot of my decisions thereafter. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely two two ends of the spectrum there um, covered. Which I, I kind of uh, means, I think the answer to the next question, I can't even begin to predict. Uh, what is your least favourite film? God, am I going to get into trouble if I say this? 
Okay, because my background is dance, and I know so many incredible, talented dancers and actors, and nothing comes close to singing in the rain and that level of expertise and rehearsal and technique and all the toil and trouble that comes with dancing. I think my least favourite is La La Land. Oh, no. Oh, I love that film. I know, it's a wonderful film, but they're trying to be silver screen Hollywood and they're wonderful actors. But you look at Gene Kelly and Ginger Rogers and you see them perform, their dance and their technique and their acting, their performance is all 100%. And that's the level I try and work out myself, but it's like, oh, I just want to see the joy in your eyes when you're doing this time step or, you know, the twinkle in your eyes and the strength in your thighs when you're doing a time step, like Gene Kelly. Do you know what mm. I mean? There's something, there's a, there's a feeling from within that these pro Hollywood dancers back in the 50s had. And I, I feel like there are people out there who do have that, but they're just not exposed. And I would love to do a dance musical for TV. Mm. Would absolutely love that. Yeah, in fact, I was booked for a film opposite um not Liam Neeson who's the other actor in Love Actually the rock star uh Bill Nye Bill Nye yeah I was cast as like to do a dance routine as a soloist in this film but I couldn't do it because I was filming show trial that's that's disappointing to me because I I, I completely get your reasons actually I, I I do get it and I think there's something yeah. when you look at when you, films thinking about sort of Gene Kelly films like Singing in the Rain you know the, the the performance, you know, the classic performance to Singing in the Rain is is relatively simplistic um, versus yeah. a lot of the sequences in La La Land, but there's it's got that, that kind of sparkle to it because it's all just, it's like watching theatre in that moment. Um, and there is something definitely very magical about that. But what I love about La La Land is that it's not really trying to do that. It's more, I, in my opinion, it's sort of more paying tribute to that rather than trying to be it. Yeah. I suppose I understand. I think that's a good point of view. And I think that's a truthful point of view. But I, I suppose because I really miss, I miss that, that level of dance alongside acting, alongside mm. singing, that I'm, awa- I'm waiting to see that level again. And yeah, where the lead actors have that twinkle in their eye. And mm. I don't know, it's, there's a cheekiness. There's like, I know your game, but I know your game. <laughs> there's a cheekiness to it rather than sometimes this heavy somberness that we've gotten ourselves into. But I know what you mean. Yeah. I know what you mean. It is pay, pay, paying tribute. I, I just miss that Hollywood. I, I want to see more of that. And I, yeah. yeah, I'll create it one day. Maybe I'll work on it one day. Yeah. Yeah, there's a script of a short film which I want to produce, which I want to make, which has those elements in, you know? Nice. Well, um, hopefully, hopefully that gets made because I do think, uh, I, I think films like that, they're built around the, the the performers and I think that's possibly the thing that's been lacking uh, in mm. Hollywood. That we just don't have those performers at the top at the moment, you know, the, the kind of the Gene Kellys, the, the Fred and Gingers and maybe... That's what it needs. It needs someone to kind of step up and uh, be like, here I am, and uh, and start doing those those roles again. Yeah, yeah, because other roles are being done. You know, other roles back then are being done. Psycho roles, more pr- dramatic roles. And... Mm. Fair enough. I guess uh, I guess we'll have to agree to disagree on La La Land, but uh, I, 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 get, I get your reasons. I do get your reasons. Um... We can still be friends. 
<laughs> so the next question I have for you is, which film or TV character do you most relate to and why? Well, I would say I would say Frida Kahlo as a as a creative uh, forward stroke Salma Hayek, and I suppose because she was the only character that looked like me growing up. And yeah, I related to her because of her suffering growing up. You know, I suffered terribly from eczema and asthma. The hospital was my second home growing up. So I always had to kind of go to my art in order to find some solace. And yeah, I found that with um, Salma Hayek, her portrayal of Frida Kahlo and Frida Kahlo in general as well. Yeah, and I think that's, um, that's definitely one of, or certainly until uh, more recently when... I think the film industry became a little bit more inclusive of non-white, non-British kind of roles. I think Salma Hayek as Frida Kahlo was one of the best uh, non-English speaking performances I think I've seen. Wow. Yeah. Uh, it was, it, I mean, I think she really, she really set the bar. And maybe I think, you know, because of the types of films that, that um, Salma Hayek has done before and after that, maybe it just kind of stands out a lot. Yeah. But I think, you know, it's a fantastic performance and, um, I think anyone trying to honour Frida Kahlo has some big shoes to fill um, because of what yeah. Salma did. Yeah, yeah, she did. She did a fantastic job. Fantastic job of filling those shoes. Absolutely. Mm. And, wow. Yeah, interesting, interesting choice. So tell me more about your exhibition. Uh, is, that, is that the right term? It's, it, it's, it's an exhibition, isn't it? Yeah, it's an exhibition. It's, it's launching on the 1st of November and it's all my lockdown paintings. So my grandfather, he was... Um, a prolific artist in the south of France and I was also always very inspired by his works and he did lots of boats and so I decided to do a load of paintings during lockdown on these boats in isolation. A, a, someone sent me a load of boats from the 1900s from Cal's regatta and I decided to do all these colourful boats but in kind of isolation in the middle of the sea and I did six of those large scale and then I did a painting that was inspired by a painting when I was done that I'd done in, when I was 16. And um, this painting was a Yellow Brick Road, part of Yellow Brick Road series. And it was a competition for Prince Charles's 50th birthday. And um, he, the brief was to paint a painting in Britain in its 21st century. So I did that and I was chosen as one of 50 young artists up and down the country and I represented Nottingham. Um, so we were all invited to see Prince Charles. Our work was up was up in Hampton Court Palace and then we went painting with him and the Prince's Trust. And so that painting is up alongside a lockdown painting of the same series, the Yellow Brick Road series and that larger painting is called Humanity Unplugged alongside the original Britain and its 21st century, which also has a yellow brick road. So, you know, this idea of idealism and finding out the truth. And so those two paintings are up large scale in Brett galleries. So yeah, that's going to be up indefinitely. And I'm, I'm thrilled about it because it's, you know, it wasn't easy doing all those paintings during lockdown with God with a small family. Yeah, so that's going to be up as well. Yeah, that, that, that's amazing. I, I always have so much admiration for, for people, uh, for, for, for painters, because I, I, I can't draw. I can barely draw stick men. And so it's just something I can't do and, and respect a oh, lot. But I, today. <laughs> I just, one thing that I've, I've never been able to understand is with, with painting is where do you start when you have that blank canvas in front of you 
where do you start? Well, what do you see? You see shapes, don't you? So you use a pencil to outline a general shape. And the first shape you outline first is the largest shape you see. And then the second largest shape. And then you go into detail. And then once you've mapped out those objects, because they're just shapes at the end of the day, and you just draw what you see, then you add you know, the undertones of the colours. And there's, there's a technique with the colours, but still, again, you can use your instinct with that. But it's just about training the eye to look and then drawing what you see, not what you think you see, but what mm. you actually see. Interesting. Have you, have you ever made, like, a huge blunder when you've been, like, halfway through a painting and had to start again? No, not really. I've done a couple of paintings where I've actually got bored and I've become an uninspired <laughs> buy whatever this stuff is and I've stopped it there's a couple at home which I'm like I need to paint over it again or continue it and finish it yeah that's what I mainly do <laughs> fair enough so going back to to film if your life was made into a movie what genre would it be and who would play you okay so it would definitely be definitely be like vintage silver screen well it would it would be it wouldn't be like cheesy musical it would be a musical that had good drama in it and the songs felt real, but there was also dance, but it wouldn't be cheesy. So yes, I'd probably say six mid, oh, 50s, 60s vintage type musical where all the dresses were incredibly beautifully vintage 1950s. Who would play me? Um, I don't know. Merle Oberon? She's not around anymore. I think she was the only diverse actress of her day. Merle Oberon. I think a lot of people are going to be IMD being that name. <laughs> <laughs> oh, um, so it's, it's, it's a very interesting choice. Who else? Okay, let me think. Let's stick um, with Merle. Let's, let's stick with Merle Oberon. Let's give people something to look up. Merle Oberon. Yeah. <laughs> Fair enough. And what? So every every musical, and especially those classic kind of golden age musicals. How, always have that one big number, that huge number. What what would yours be set to? Like, what would be that point in your life that, at which that big number um, takes place? It would be set to my forthcoming groundbreaking role, which hasn't occurred yet. That that role that stands out, <laughs> where I felt all my toil and trouble and auditions and juggling were bloody worth it. <laughs> that is an exceptional plug for whatever excuse we have to reshare this episode in the future. So uh, that's a fantastic answer. It would, be, it would be for that standout role in TV musical that was, I don't know, something fruitful and fun, almost almost French and, you know, like Parisian. Here's, yeah. here's, a, here's a side question for you. Uh, if, if you had your choice and, and it, a, a sort of commissioning editor comes to you and says, right, we're definitely going to make this, whatever you want, and you could pick a movie musical to sort of serialise into a TV drama that you starred in, what would it be? Do you know, well, it would be my play that I'm developing on Frida Kahlo. I want to make that into a TV and it will have song and dance, but not in a way that we know is musical. It would be, it would be, you know, like how without the sadness, it would be how Les Mis approached the music. Mm it would be an organic way of approaching the music and the dance. And yeah. that would be, it wouldn't be obviously, as you say, an existing musical, but it would be the play that I'm working on. And that would be, yeah, turned into a, a six part musical. 
Yeah, I love that. And uh, Joe, I think that there's there's such a challenge to doing something like what Les Mis does. And I think it's really underappreciated where the singing and the speech just kind of flows seamlessly um, uh, mm. sort of in and out. Uh, because it's a it's a, a phenomenal like, stage show, and I, I I actually quite like the film as well. Yeah. So if ever you do that, I'll be I'll be the first one bigging it up. Oh great, great! <laughs> it was here first. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. next question: What's your most nostalgic film? Yeah, I think The English Patient because I was I was like, what do you mean by nostalgic? Like, makes me feel like I'm so yeah, The English Patient or The Secret Garden. What, what what is it about the English patient? Because that's it's an odd choice for a nostalgic well, film. I don't know. I just found something quite nostalgic about it. Yeah, I don't know what it is about it. I think because it's set in World War World War Two mm. or one. I remember the music and the scenarios. I just found it quite nostalgic. Yeah. Honestly, does it? Why? Fine. I think it's one of those that I think. Um, it's. It, I think it's often just the feelings that that a film like that can elicit, rather than, you know. Mm. I think it, it can be hard to pinpoint. So that's interesting. There's definitely been a theme with the films that you've gone for. It, you've gone really like classic, like old school, like I know. Hollywood. Very I different. Know. And also, I think because, and I need to watch more art housey movies, of which there are many incredible ones, but. You know, I think because there's been a formula discovered and our films are following this formula because it works and works and works, makes money. Mm. I suppose I'm I'm kind of missing the beauty and the magic of the classics, I guess. <laughs> yeah, that's a fair point. Yeah, I think you're right. I think that when there's when there's less kind of rules, uh, it allows for a little bit more creative autonomy, I guess. And, and when people yeah, were still kind of defining the rules back then, it was easier to do something yeah. different than me. And the feel-good factor, like Count of Monte Cristo and the magic of that. There's, yeah, there's, there's a magic and feel-good factor, which I crave. The resolve that I crave that, you know, a, a lot of films out there. There's some great films out there, but there's so many fascinating films, like incredible psychological thrillers. And, but I think, I, I think we could do with a lot more of a feel-good resolve with a hell of a lot of magic. I think that's <laughs> what I'm all about. I think that's a that's a, an excellent sentiment as well. So what then, what was that moment in your life that, that you thought, I'm going to be an actress, I'm going to be a performer? My mum used to see it. My mum used to take me to see a lot of Agatha Christie plays in, at Nottingham Theatre Royal. And that was one of the turning moments as well. And I really loved seeing what I was looking at and I wanted to be up there. And um, I suppose looking at movies... I know it sounds really crass, but like the never-ending story as a little <laughs> girl, film. princess with a crumbling rule around room around her. You just wanted to be her. <laughs> um, <laughs> but also when I started learning Shakespeare, I was about 10 and I was starting to recite Shakespeare and, you know, doing Juliet in my early teens, I, I really connected with the texts and, you know, I wanted to... I wanted to do more of that and, and be part of that classical text, that magic, stepping into other people's roles. And I, the, the, the spirit of play, which I think is what took me on that journey into acting, the feeling of the spirit of play mm. is what took me there. And yeah. yeah, interesting. Do you, do you think that there's still um, this, this element of snobbery? Because you, you touched on Shakespeare and my, my memories of like learning English literature and kind of, dabbling in drama as, as a child was you know you had to learn Shakespeare and do that and do like the 
the high end stuff. Um, do you think there's still that that little bit of, of snobbery in kind of going into acting? I think there is. I, I don't know whether it's snobbery. I mean, there is different types of snobbery, hmm. but snobbery in terms of I think no matter what your background is i feel like nowadays there's more of a respect despite your background if you're gonna do shakespeare you need to understand the rhythm and the text like i i could do with more practice with shakespeare because i haven't done it in quite a while but i think despite your background there is a bit more respect that even if you didn't go to drama school or did or whatever background you came from if you can learn and understand the text then that's fine mm, there yeah. is a little bit of snobbery like sometimes you won't be even seen for Shakespearean roles if you haven't gone to drama school. Yeah, I, I, I get that, and I guess that's I guess that's kind of what I was I was sort of getting at. And uh, there's an art, there's there's a definite art, and, and there's a difference when you watch a performance of Shakespeare. There's there's a, there's a, a, a noticeable difference in the sort of delivery and the performance. It's yeah. it's I can't put my finger on it, but you yeah. you know you were watching Shakespeare even if you didn't know what you were you know watching. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, which I, I guess kind of brings me on to my final question, which is the exact opposite of, of Shakespeare, probably. Uh, what is your guilty pleasure? What is my guilty pleasure? Okay. So I have to watch a lot of cartoons at the moment. <laughs> so, and it really is very, very difficult. But um, I mean, what kind of guilty pleasures are there in film? Oh god, I didn't answer this one very very well. Oh god. I suppose I've got a slight inclination towards Storybots because it's the only cartoon I can relate to. <laughs> because I know one of the voiceover artists called Jim Meskerman. And I I my, my guilty pleasure is at least trying to pick out his voice. <laughs> Fair enough. And I can't yeah. say I'm I'm very well versed on children's uh, uh, TV, but um, that's an interesting answer. Um, what what is Storybox? Storybots living inside <laughs> computer parts. Oh, surely you know that one. <laughs> I've heard I've heard the theme. Yeah, I've learned a lot about the planets. You know, <laughs> yeah, I've learned a lot about the planets. Can't tell you anything right now because I've forgotten. But yeah, Storybots. Check it out. It's like an American TV series, and it's for educational purposes. And my my son loves it, and I'm so grateful about that because it's educational. Amazing. Um, definitely the most out there answer we've had for guilty pleasure. Uh, so <laughs> I appreciate that. Extremes. Um, and uh, I guess b before we, we let you go, tell us again, where can people see you, connect with you and uh, visit your exhibition? Okay, so if you want to know what's going on, you can go to my social media site on Instagram, which is Rebecca Grant Official, or you can go to rebeccagrant.co.uk it's best to follow me on instagram and i'll be out on show trial from the 31st of october from episode three i play nisha barrier in that also acorn tv is coming out in december um the queens of mystery series where i play natasha young uh, a bitchy forensic surgeon and my exhibition is out on the 1st of november at brett galleries in midhurst midhurst is lovely so i hope that makes sense <laughs> Yes, amazing. So if anyone is in or around Midhurst, check that out. And I can't wait to um, watch Showtime. Show ah. Trials. There we go. Thank you so much for uh, doing this and answering those questions. Uh, it's been great having you on the show. Thank you so much. Thanks a lot, Rebecca. 
that's it for this week of the Friday Film Club. Thanks for listening. And remember, you can rate and review us on all good podcast platforms. Also, uh, do reach out to us on social media at the Fry Film Club on Twitter, Instagram and Facebook. And if you want to be a guest in a future episode, do drop us a message on social media or email liam at hefcorp.com. Thanks for listening. Thanks so much for listening to the first season of the Friday Film Club. I hope you've enjoyed it. Uh, we are busy planning for season two, and that's going to be coming early next year. So do keep your ears out for that. We're lining up some great guests. And uh, of course, if you've got any feedback, do let us know. Uh, we want you to enjoy what you hear. Um, and also uh, remember before season two starts to tell everyone about the show. Follow us on social at the Fry Film Club and leave a review and a rating uh, so others can find us as well. Uh, that would be great. Enjoy your Christmas and your New Year, and we will see you on the other side.